This is Leaders Lens, the show that reveals what it really takes to become a great leader. I'm Jacob Espinoza, a Fortune 500 leadership consultant and director of career success at Workweek. Let's go. 80% of the CEOs that I coach, have mentored, or have been in my course do not have self-awareness. And I think that's a punch to the gut when they actually realize what self-awareness really means. And there's good reasons for it, though. I think the biggest reason is you're busy and you can't possibly have a deep sense of self-awareness when you're consistently overwhelmed. It's like there's so much noise in your brain, in the room, that it's hard to tap into, you know, anything about what you really want, what's really happening, how are you feeling, how are you reacting to things, because we're working in this very chaotic environment, typically. And we are back at the Leaders Lens podcast. I'm joined today by Christine Carrillo, the 20-hour CEO coach. She's built three businesses to $200 million in revenue. And now she's helping entrepreneurs build successful teams, scale themselves with less effort, which is a big deal. And something that I always appreciate about you, Christine, is how thoughtful you are in your approach and how strategic you are in breaking big concepts down to small, actionable steps. And I think it's a big reason why your course has just been wildly successful. So... Really grateful for you making the time on a Friday to chat. Thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. No, absolutely. You're, uh, it's been awesome connecting with you on Twitter, and I, I just love having this platform to dive a little deeper into the topics that you help people with as a coach through your course. And really, I mean, let's get, get straight to the value here for a lot of the uh, the leaders that we have. I think you step into a manager role and you always have high hopes, right? You're looking at yourself as a future VP. If you're a VP, you're looking at yourself as somebody that wants to be on that that executive team. But when you think about becoming a CEO or you, you join the executive team, what are some of the uh, the important mindsets, shifts to be that are required to be successful in a role like that? You know, I think the most important one that I've seen after doing this for eight years is self-awareness. You need a very deep, you have to develop a very deep sense of self-awareness. And that usually goes into, it starts to stem into things like, what are the things that I should be doing for the business? How do I move the business forward? Am I working on the right things? Am I keeping the right people on the team for the business? Or is it because I'm attached to them in some way? Is it, you know, most people I do, I fall in love with the people that work for me. So I have to constantly be very self-aware of, Why are they here? Should I help them leave? Which is a very hard thing to do, right? But all of these concepts come up, I think, as you're starting to look into becoming a CEO. And then that self-awareness, the last thing I think that it would tap into is having a lot of clarity around defining what the business goals are, where it's going, how it's going to get there, and what's your role in that. And that changes through different phases of the business. I think one of the interesting things about self-awareness is people generally believe that they're self-aware. Like nobody is actively acting under the impression that they completely lack self-awareness. So when you're working with a client or working with a CEO that doesn't, is hitting the mark, is not hitting the mark, just doesn't really understand their strengths and their opportunities, what are some tactics that you found successful in in helping them develop self-awareness? First, I would say 80% of the CEOs that I coach, have mentored, or have been in my course, do not have self-awareness. 
And I think that's a punch to the gut when they actually realize what self-awareness really means. And there's good reasons for it, though. I think the biggest reason is you're busy and you can't possibly have a deep sense of self-awareness when you're consistently overwhelmed. It's like there's so much noise in your brain, in the room, that it's hard to tap into, you know, anything about what you really want, what's really happening, how are you feeling, how are you reacting to things, because we're working in this very chaotic environment, typically. The other thing I think that comes in is survival. And depending on your role, if it's like, for example, if you're a VC-backed founder, there's one sense of survival in leading a company into, I cannot disappoint the investors. I've got to grow X number of, you know, fast. I can't disappoint the team. All that is survival. And you you sort of then start to put the self-awareness on the back burner because you're just in like this, go, go, go. I got to survive. I got to stay afloat. If you're a bootstrap founder or, you know, you're even a vice president, frankly, I mean, vice presidents actually have the worst jobs because they have very little say in the direction of the company, but more knowledge usually than the C-levels and the directors and have very little agency to make change. So it's a very difficult position to be in. But that, again, there's all this noise. So it's hard to really have that self-awareness. So part of what we start doing when I work with CEOs on this is first we take a look at, like, let's go take screenshots of your calendar for the last two weeks. Let's take screenshots of your calendar the next two weeks. And then we're going to go in and do like a purge. And we go through email. Like we go look at text messages. Like what exactly are you doing? Like every little stupid thing. Like did you go to the grocery store? Did you help someone with the Salesforce report? Did you have to talk to HR? Like every single thing. And they hate it. They absolutely hate it. But when you do that, you then start to look at. And so we, we go through that. And then I'm like, okay, like out of all these things, Let's now just take a nice deep breath and look at what's your job today? And most people, the default is vision, hire, move the business. And it's such bullshit because once you've set the vision, you don't set it again. You're good. You know, so it's like, what's your actual job right now? And when they start to look at their business in the stage it's in, then it's a different conversation because it's like, whoa, wait, hold on. Right now, my job might be to be in the weeds and build. So that might be my job or my job is now to actually, maybe we have to expand and we haven't been doing that. So then we're now looking at, okay, if you were hired from the outside, would people love that you're helping with Salesforce reports or you're helping like figure out something going on with the VP and a manager? Like, you know, and then this is where then the next level of self-awareness starts to come in. It's like, let's quiet all the noise for a minute and really take a look at what are you doing and what are you supposed to be doing? So then that, You know, that's like the first layer, I think. And it's like the first part of my course. The second cut comes in once they've done all this purging, if you will, and taking stock. Then they look at, all right, what is it that only I could do? And what can other people do? Where people get stuck there is they think, I don't have the right person. You know, I don't have a person that can, which you have to not think about. You have to think about if I had that perfect person, a mini me. Who could they do this? Or is this something only I could do? When you start to envision that, then it becomes a different conversation. I had a conversation recently with a CEO who said, I can't, just nobody on my team can do this. And I was like, okay, so if you hired me as your COO, 
could I, do you think I could do all this stuff and knock it out of the park? He's like, well, yeah, but that's you. I'm like, but here's the thing. There's lots of me's. There's lots of you's. We have this misconception that we're the only ones in the world. And that's definitely not true. So then we're like looking at, can you give it to someone else? But as all these, they're like small cuts of digging in deeper into that self-awareness, because now you're looking at separating your identity from the list of things you do. What happens at the end of that is there's usually an identity crisis because your identity may have been wrapped up in doing all of the things, being the hero, even being the helpful one, maybe being the cheerleader, whatever it is that your identity might have been tied into. And then that's like the next level of self-awareness of figuring out where did that come from? Why did it happen? So there's definitely tactical pieces, but the self-awareness piece also has a lot to do with mindset shifts and beliefs that you've carried. And most of them come from childhood. And where are they going now? So it's some pretty deep shit work, to be honest. It's not like as easy as like, hey, just delegate stuff. It doesn't work that way. Most powerful and just understanding the root of why decisions are being made and why somebody has a, a specific perspective. And then I love the question of just like, what do you do? And then now let's look at your calendar because it really challenges people to step away from this like cookie cutter answer, like we're going to see a Webster's Dictionary. And like, let's actually focus on what you're doing and compare that to what would be most impactful for you to be doing right now as a CEO of this company. Yeah, exactly. I think that has, I've found to be the most powerful way to get, you know, the thing is CEOs are really good at being optimistic and convincing themselves that they should keep doing something just because they shouldn't give up. And in that story that they tell themselves, the story is also the not give up means pile on more and you get it confused. And so when you start to separate like, okay, it's great that you can do a lot. Congratulations, you get a star, but you're not even doing your job. So now what do we do? Who's going to run the company? Like, how are you going to reach really 50 million at this pace? You know, you're just running in circles. And, you know, at times it can feel like, I mean, it is hard to go through that. But I think what's beautiful is when you start to see wait a minute, if I just spent 70% of my time doing my job and 30% fucking around, let's just say, still answering weird emails and like being in people's business, I could actually maybe triple my revenue in six months. It almost suddenly becomes very inspiring on how the self-awareness will drive your business forward. But it does take a lot of internal work to get there. And part of that, scaling comes from developing system, which is something else I know you, you do a great job with. How can leaders do this? If maybe they've never really looked, they've always understood they need to be creating systems, but they aren't really happy with what they have, or they're seeing that there's a gap. Where do they get started in creating effective systems? You know, I think what happens is these words, also, they're like, they're so stigmatized. Systems sounds hard. It just sounds like a lot of work, you know? Processes all sound hard. And it might be because you might have had a job or you've come across some place, something where a system and a process was a novel and nobody wanted to read it and it was old and outdated. And that starts to stick in your head, like who's got time for that? But when you start to think about, it's actually not any of those things. It's a very simple thing. It's really just how do we do X, you know, and, it, and just not have it in your brain stored up there. Like you just have to start with a high level, really, of something very simple. And as you iterate or go deeper into it, you start to then add more to that 
outline. And the reason for it is so that your team can focus on solving new problems versus trying to figure out old ones. But what ends up happening is I think people worry about weird things like who's going to keep these updated and what happens if they change? And like all that is like it's your brain going back to excuses. You know, it really doesn't matter, frankly. Like I think if you build a culture of, hey, we're all responsible for looking at what we do and if it changes, like we're supposed to be scientific in the way we work in building companies. And so part of your job is to look at if you do email funnels, did that change? Is there a reason? Did we get drop-offs? Should we look at our process again? So that's like the high-level bit of it, I would say, on getting this started. I think where you want to end up is that you want to build many machines within your company. And those many machines then have people overseeing them. And they start to run the company for you. And then the team is now focused on expansion, growth, whatever it is, but they're not focused on the same old thing they've already been on. That just is like humming. That's beautiful. Once you get started, you can measure the impact. You can make small changes, but now you have something set in place as a baseline of how we operate, which gives you an opportunity to measure the impact of the small changes you make along the way. Right, exactly. And also helps with decision fatigue as well, because you have this thing that you're focused on you're giving, you're delegating problems for people to solve where they don't have to figure out what to solve on their own, which helps them be more effective in their role. And I know something else you talk about in your course is protecting mental capacity. What does that look like? How do you talk through this in your course and with your coaching clients? So, I mean, the mental capacity comes to the same thing we talked about a little bit is like preserving your energy for the pieces that actually take up more space and time. So the course is called the 20-Hour CEO, but that's only because I happened to have had a concussion and could only work 20 hours a week when I was building a 200 million VC-backed company. But it's not about working 20 hours. It really, what it was, was it taught me, and this is what I teach CEOs, is that where we're spending our energy, even thinking when you're outside of work, that your brain is always on. But where that, where it's on is not usually necessary. So when you turn it off on all the minutiae, your brain should be filled with thinking and having energy to really think about the bigger picture things, like to do research, to be studying the market, to be like kind of crazy professor on things, you know? Um, and we don't have enough time for that typically. So the overwhelm and doing more than you should be doing and not delegating, that's one aspect of it. The second one is how you make decisions. Typically people make decisions looking for the right way to do something and the right outcome. And that's not really a decision-making framework. That's just going off of what happened in the past. So for example, if I decided, this happens a lot, I decided to hire somebody, it didn't go well, then I'm going to think, or let's, this is even better. I hired, let's say I hired an engineer in India and that did not go well. So now future decisions to hire, to outsource, are based on, well, that one didn't go well, so they're not. But then if I look at, well, what was the process to make the decision? Was that good and still had a bad outcome? Or was it just like, we're just basing it on the outcome, right? Yes. But then if I look at like, oh, wait, well, I didn't really vet out this company. And I probably could have vetted out the engineer more. I didn't give enough time to onboarding the engineer. Now it's like, all right, the decision was good. It was a good bet. It just didn't give us what we wanted. It's always a bet. 
so th- I think that's the other piece is being able to make decisions and look at them as bets rather than just based on experience. Yes, I think Annie Duke's uh, book, Thinking in Bets, like talks about this very, very well, where she says that we base a lot of our judgment on how good a decision was based on the outcome. But there's always so much luck involved. And I love that you really point out, like, focus on the decision you made, but also focus on the process that you use to get there, because that's probably where you're going to find a lot of room for improvements and you can help prevent future mistakes as opposed to only looking at that decision. That's a great way to phrase it and think about it. Yeah, right. And I think a lot of leaders make decisions from the hip. They're just like, everything's gut or instinct or whatever. And it can be useful at times, but when that's all the only way you run it, you don't have a way to optimize because now you're just, you know, hopefully you're lucky all the time. Yeah. I mean, that's, I mean, the things that you're talking about, they, they're first, like they, they'll give you space to actually do the deep thinking that you need to make some of these decisions where a lot of, of owners fall into the trap of acting on intuition. And then they say, well, I can't, duplicate myself and like you're right you can't you don't have any systems you're shooting from the hip all the time so like there's no way that any somebody can replicate that but just taking the time to create the process and decide this is how we do things as a company makes it a lot easier for somebody to come in and fill this role so now you have created that space so you can do some of the meaningful work working on the business as, as opposed to working in the business exactly yeah how has your perspective of what makes an effective leader evolved over the last you know, three to five years as a world, just a different place? I think it's less, well, I guess it's gotten a little more clarity around, I come from this VC world where it appears that you need to be extraordinary as a human to be a good leader and to build a successful business. And I think where it's evolved to is that that's not actually true. Very few people are extraordinary and you don't have to be. You can just do extraordinary things. And there's a big shift in then allowing yourself to just be a normal human who can some has good days and bad days and is still a really strong, effective leader. But I think it's, you know, it's if we're bamboozled into thinking we all have to be Elon Musk, Jeff Bezos, you then lose your own self-awareness, right? Because you're now trying to be somebody else. So it's like, I feel like I've had the most success with CEOs who join me in trying to figure out what kind of leader are they? How do we develop who you are as a leader and like scrap everything else you've ever heard and learned? Like, who are you? How do you lead? And I'll give you an example of that. I am really hard to work for. I'm obsessive. I'm in more details than anybody would ever dream of that I can, I can pick up when a pixel's off. I expect a really high standard of work because that's how my work is. But part of this obsessiveness means I'm also good naturally at a lot of different areas of business. I'm a software engineer, so I'm really strong at tech and product. I've got a strong affinity for branding, for growth. So it makes it really hard to work for me, you know? So that part, someone could look at and say, okay, but this is like, you have to be this other kind of leader. You have to be, you know, but no, actually, no, this is how I lead. This works for me and my businesses. But because I know how I lead, I also have to put guardrails because I'll drive everyone crazy and I'll burn people out. Right. So I have to be very self-aware. I can't go into meetings. I'll mess everything up. You know, I've got to set up more systems. Otherwise, I'm up everyone's butt asking what's happening with this. What is it? Where's that? I need people to be 
you know, manage up. I don't like managing anyone. So I've got to be careful of who I hire can, um, you know, make decisions on their own and is has more self-confidence, is okay with a CEO who's not online very much. All these things have to be on the table when I'm hiring someone. And I've got to look at, you know, with a lot of just honesty at what it's like to build with me and what are the pieces that serve the company and what are the pieces that could not. And it doesn't mean I'm going to remove them. It just means I'm going to put guardrails around them. I love being crazy and obsessive, but my team doesn't. So I've got to make sure that they've got a way to know, one, when that triggers, and secondly, how to help me take notice of it's time to back off, Chris, you know, like, let us be. I really appreciate the fact that you talk about the transparency as you're going through the hiring process of like the self-awareness allows you to be transparent on this is what the experience is going to be like to work for this company. Like, here's what's in it for you. Here are the benefits. Like, we're going to take care of you. But at the same time, I like, hear some things that you need to know about what the experience is, is going to be like, because yeah, like when you're a business owner, success is everything. Right. If the business fails, like that's there's a lot at stake. And so being sure that you're ready to lead that ship in the right direction. Yeah. And I think so too, we forget that people give up a lot to come work for companies. A lot. And most people try to sell the employee on why to work there. And that's all great and dandy, but they don't really talk about, you know, like I mean, I coached a CEO the other day who was like, I can't seem to hire anyone. And when I do, like they leave really quick. I'm like, because you're telling them this is a fast growth company and everything's rosy. And what you should be saying is, I have a lot of pressure. I raised a lot of money and I have to reach these goals. And I'm looking for people who are excited to do that. But it's going to be rough for the next two years. And this is why. Like, that's a very different conversation. Like, someone who likes a challenge like that might be like, okay, I'm down, I'm game. But if you're like, everything's great and you get benefits and we're on Forbes, it's like, okay, yeah, but this is a shit show. Why am I here? You never told me this, right? So I think we do our team a disservice when we're not upfront about that. And it's also part of the culture then, because then, like, you've hired people and they're like, I can't trust you now. And they need to be able to trust the organization more than anything. Powerful. Yeah. You trust the leader. You trust the organization, right? You're going to trust the person before you. You trust the vision. Right. Exactly. I think you touched on this last one here a little bit, but I'm curious to hear your answer. If you could go back when you founded your first company and give yourself leadership advice, what would that advice be? Ooh, it would be like five bullet points. Focus on outcomes. Sell before building anything. Keep your team as small as you can. Take care of yourself first, then the business. And I think the one I wish people would have told me more often was to build a business that fits within how you want to spend your minutes. Mm, I love that. Decide the vision for your life and kind of build the business around that. Is that what I'm understanding? Yeah, I think like we, because you get so excited about the possibilities of a business and sometimes the direction to build a specific business, you don't realize how you'll spend your time building it. And that may not be aligned with how you actually wanted to spend your time. It, you know, I mean, and those are decisions that I think we don't make often enough or think about often enough on like, am I even the right founder for this kind of business? It, you know, I may not be. Like some founders are not made for consumer businesses. It takes a lot or VC backed business. I'm definitely not made for that. You know, I don't want anyone telling me what to do. I'm like strong, opinionated 
individual and it's not you have to be a very strong VC to be alongside with me, you know, because I'm going to do stuff the way I'm going to do it. But that's something to be aware of. Right. I mean, like, that's not a good relationship. And that's not that's a dreadful way to spend your time if you end up <laughs> having to suffer the whole way through. Absolutely. I appreciate this so much and our, our audience to get a ton of value from this. And I know they're going to want to learn more about you and stay in touch. So, Christine, where should we be sending them? So I would say my Twitter at Christine, C-A-R-R-I-L. And you can find me on my website, christinecurio.com as well. Awesome. We will leave the links in the show notes. We appreciate you, Christine. Thanks so much for being here. Thanks so much for having me. I appreciate it. Thank you for listening to the show. Don't miss another episode of Leader's Lens and the inside scoop on becoming a great leader. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And if you love Leader's Lens, please tell a friend. 